I've always been so struck by the fact that he, uh, you know, talks about the the shifting of his own views, um, having started around that table. And to me, that's such a profound example of, you know, it wasn't the food on the table that changed his mind, but it was, I think that invitation, um, and the, you know, introduction to a, a different community and a conversation. Hey, this is Kashara, and you're listening to Undiscovered Worth. In this episode, I talked to Julia Tertian, who is a best-selling author of Feed the Resistance. She's also written for the New York Times, Vogue, Food and Wine Magazine, among others. Um, I'd actually met her when I was working at Time Inc. earlier this year, and it just really felt very serendipitous. And so I'm really excited that we get the chance to talk again and that you guys get to listen in on the conversation Um, We talk about how she got started, the ways that food can promote social justice and unity in our communities, and we also talk about her upcoming book, Now and Again, which will be released next month. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like, rate, and share with others. Enjoy. I really wanted to start off by asking, um, I guess... What really inspires me about you is that you're able to connect your passion for food with building community, like, you know, with continuing conversations about building communities that connect people and um, social good. So I was wanting to know, like, who are the influencers or if you had influential moments that led you to this point? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, gosh, so many. Um, I think that... I mean, in general, I feel like, I I think the reason I've been drawn to food my whole life, and I have been, I mean, since before I can remember, I've always been cooking and wanting to be in the kitchen. And and I think that when I kind of reflect back on that and, you know, I'm in touch with, like, but that passion really continues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been this thread through my whole life. You know, I, I love food more than anything. Um, it's been my whole life. It's been my career, you know, mm-hmm. but I really, the food itself isn't very important to me. It's, it's the community, um, that's around food, um, and you know, the people behind the food and, and all that. So I think, um, I think community is really the thing that I've been drawn to. And I think food has been my way, you know, into that. So I think that's sort of the kind of, I guess, like the biggest answer to that. But Mm -hmm. I would say more recently, like um, things that have inspired uh, my work, you know, on, you know, putting together Feed the Resistance or starting Equity at the Table, like that kind of stuff is is a lot of that has, um, that work has come I would say sort of, yeah, attached to what I just said, I think expanding my community um, and just trying to do a lot more listening mm-hmm. <laughs> um, rather than just just talking, even though I'm talking about it right now. <laughs> and um, I think really seeing, um, you know, I, yeah, I've loved, I've loved food my whole life. I've, I've taught myself to cook through cookbooks. I've loved cookbooks. I've surrounded myself with them. I've known since I was tiny that that was the work I wanted to do was to create cookbooks. Um, and I've gotten to do that work. And so I've been extraordinarily privileged to not only know what I I love to do, but also to get to do it. Um, 
and I've worked with tons of people in their cookbooks and I've gotten to work on my own. I've gotten to, you know, put my own voice out there and, and have it heard, um, and experience what that feels like. And in, in doing that work, I've, I've come to understand that, you know, that privilege isn't afforded to everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, so I feel like I, I guess the more, um, things I've accomplished with my own voice, the more invested I am in, um, making sure those opportunities are available for more people. Um, and that is the work I, I, you know, care most about at this point. And, um, it's also just much more interesting work. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I know my own stories. I've heard my own voice, like, um, I'm just so curious about, about everyone else's. Um, and so, yeah, I think that has been kind of like the shift for me is just to shift into a place of, um, of more listening, which I guess in some ways has sort of, um, been something I've done in a lot of my work, especially when I collaborate with other people and, and help them work on their books. That job is one of listening, you know, and asking just important questions to be able to translate their, their recipes and their stories, you know, to the page. Um, but I just, I really like listening to people's stories. <laughs> yeah. That's something I've always liked to do. So in talking about, um, asking questions and knowing the right questions to ask, I've kind of, you know, I do all these interviews and stuff and it's so much fun, but I feel like I've reached a place of, I don't know if you would call it, well, maybe it would be considered like a new awareness, but it's like, I'm realizing that there are so many more questions I want to ask, but I don't <clears throat> know what those questions are, you know? And so I've talked to my mom about it and I talked to my husband about it. I was just like, I don't know. Like, how do people know the right questions to ask? Like, is that just something that you think you kind of have to do more living to be able to know the deeper questions you know what I mean does that make any sense (laughs) yeah no I I just I feel like there's so many things like I'm aware that there are things that I don't know that I don't even know (laughs) I mean I think that's probably the you know the most important question (laughs) like like, yeah nobody knows everything at all um I I feel like I mean, I listen to a lot of interviews, like I listen to a lot of podcasts, I read a lot of interviews, um, I read a lot of like memoirs and stuff, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm very interested in, um, in, in storytelling and specifically in, in kind of like conversational storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spend a lot of time listening to other questions people ask and, and when I have the opportunity to, you know, to either interview someone or, um, you know, to ask them questions to, you know, whether it's like working with someone on their book or, um, you know, interviewing someone for an article or something like that. You know, I try to be very um, thoughtful about those questions. And yeah, I don't know how you know the right ones to ask, but I'm always <laughs> thinking about um, who who will be listening to these answers. You know, if I'm, if I'm asking, if I'm moderating like a panel and it's Mm -hmm. an audience, um, or if I'm asking someone questions for like a magazine, uh, you know, I'm thinking about who in general is reading that magazine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always thinking not just about the person who I'm asking the questions to, but also who will be potentially listening to those answers. Mm -hmm. Um, and what can, what might they want to hear? Um, 
So if I'm talking to, um, you know, another cookbook author and it's, um, for, I'm making this up, but if it's like an audience of people interested in writing cookbooks, like maybe I'll talk about the process and logistics and, um, all that kind of stuff. But if it's, um, you know, just the, you know, writing recipes and writing book proposals, you know, stuff like that. But if we're talking with a group of, um, of, you know, home cooks, maybe we'll talk about the, you know, the stories behind the recipes and stuff. So I try to always think about, um, not just who I'm talking to, but also who might be listening. That's good. Um, so with starting out in your career, how are you able to like navigate uncertainty? You know, there's a lot of times I feel like people have this like vision or this, you know, dream, but it's really the real journey I feel is connecting those dots, you know, through the uncertainty. So how did you navigate that? Um, yeah, I mean, that's something I am always asking myself. I I feel like I always feel uncertain. Um, I think that's kind of the nature of being a freelancer, um, is, you know, you work on project to project, um, you know, whether it's like in one article at a time or one book at a time or, um, one podcast at a time, you know, whatever your, Mm -hmm. um, whatever your medium is. And, um, yeah, navigating uncertainty is kind of, I I would say that's been like a big theme in my, my, my work with my therapist. (laughs) (laughs) Um, it's so funny because working on recipes is like, comes from a place of really loving control (laughs) yeah I'm giving you measurements and instructions and um here's all these tools to um you know cook something and know it's going to turn out well and you know it's it's so many exercises and control but but being a cookbook author is also just living in kind of a constant state of uncertainty of you know (laughs) what's the next project going to be is it you know Mm -hmm. and all that so I would say yeah I'm just kind of confirming that that is something I've been through (laughs) and continue to go through but I guess navigating it is just about um I think on the logistic side of it it's like has been just specifically as a freelance writer Mm -hmm. it's been essentially setting my up setting myself up excuse me as um as a small business owner you know my my business is, is my, um, my work. So I, you know, it it took me a lot of years to really understand how to, um, handle the, um, you know, the, my finances, um, how to handle taxes, uh, how to handle, um, you know, being someone who might get, you know, two or three that I have to make last for the whole year because I work on, you know, bigger projects. Mm -hmm. Um, for a lot of freelancers, it's like, how do you make, you know, a million tiny checks yeah. <laughs> kind of last the whole year. Um, you know, it was finding an accountant who really understood, you know, what I do, um, you know, figuring out, out all those kinds of tools and really, um, you know, considering myself the, you know, like, um, I don't have employees, but you know, I'm not, I don't have like a company, but mm-hmm. to consider my, my work as a writer, like a small business and really treat it that way. Um, so that's been kind of on the logistic end of, of, um, you know, really handling uncertainty is just to, um, kind of treat really to create my, or I'm sorry, not to create, but to treat my work, uh, professionally, mm-hmm. um, which sounds kind of obvious, but that took me a while to really learn. And I would say emotionally to kind of, um, navigate the uncertainty, um, 
it gets easier the longer I, I do it. Um, and I realize that the moments kind of in between projects and those moments are the ones that feel the most uncertain. Yeah. Like that's just part of the process and the cycle. And, you know, I'm at a point now where I'm like, oh yeah, this is what always happens. Like this has happened for the last decade. Like you're always, you know, you'll get really busy and then you're not busy and then you get really busy. And it's like, that's just part of my, my process. Um, so the more experiences I have, I think the more calm I am, um, when things feel unsure, but it's, it's always hard, like totally. But I try to just use that as good motivation. Like, so what am I really interested in right now? Like, what stories do I want to tell? Like, is there a, um, you know, when I, um, when I met you in Birmingham, uh, uh-huh. That was about me, um, you know, taking, you know, like going to that conference, which when I met you, it was the second year I had gone, but going to that Southern Foodways conference, like a one day conference, you know, the first year I went, I was like, is it, you know, is it, should I buy the ticket? Should I fly myself to Birmingham? Like, should I be spending money on this? And it's like, I was like, I'm going to invest in my, uh, my work. I'm going to invest in, in, um, you know, meeting people who who care about the same thing as I do because mm-hmm. we're all going to this conference. Um, I'm going to invest in, uh, you know, being somewhere I've never been before, um, taking that trip, you know, getting to eat a, like a, you know, a restaurant I'd always wanted to go to um, and have that experience. And, you know, going on that trip was like, it was a good investment in my small business. <laughs> you know, it really um, expanded my community and uh, it was so worth it. So I think it's, you know, I think in moments of uncertainty, really figuring out like, what can I, what can I do to help me, um, you know, figure out what's next. Okay. That's good. Um, my next question, um, is, so it's about success mm-hmm. and I realized that in doing the work that I'm doing and like really wanting to build onto that, that a lot of times people think that success looks like ease and luck you know, like, um, but really I know, especially now, um, that like behind the scenes, it looks like, you know, like late nights and hitting brick walls and a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you say is a key in your personal life, um, to that like motivates you to continue striving? Because I feel like a lot of times people, it's the easy thing to do is kind of live your life on autopilot, just kind of letting things come to you and, you know, for me, it's easy for me to go to indecision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, cause a lot of times I deal with that like, anxiety. So I'm like, if I don't make a decision, then, mm-hmm. you know, then, then everything's fine. But really indecision mm-hmm. is a decision in itself. So, and that's mm-hmm. like my version of living on autopilot. Um, mm-hmm. so that's why I was asking, you know, for you, what kind of helps you stay on track and not kind of fall into living your life on autopilot and like continue to strive. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's such an important question. And I mean, I struggle with anxiety too. I think a lot of people who work in media do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've just, I think, I think a lot of people in general, uh, and I think a lot of people just, especially right now and everything that's happening yeah. in this world, um, it's pretty, you know, it's easy to be anxious. So yeah, that is something we have in common. Um, but I think, so I guess the question is like, what kind of motivates me to not like be on autopilot? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I, I try to always, 
yeah, it's easy to get anxious and overwhelmed and, and unsure and not know, you know, the right decision to make. And, um, I think two things. One, I'm, I'm always, I just, I know in general for my own, um, just personality and my own anxiety and everything. Like I'm, I'm much happier, um, when I'm, when I'm doing rather than when I'm kind of thinking about doing, like I get very, um, you know, the anticipation of, of decisions and stuff, um, just anticipation in general just makes me pretty stressed out. So I try to operate from a place of like, I'd rather do it and not get it totally right and learn from it and apologize if needed, Mm -hmm. um, rather than, uh, you know, not, not do it. And it could be anything. Um, so I try to kind of operate from, from that place. Um, and I also just in general, I am always, um, I try to think not only about what, you know, like, what am I going to do or what's the next thing or, you know, where am I going? Like Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. I try to think about the why behind everything. Um, so if, uh, you know, if there's something, some project or something I really want to make happen or, or if an opportunity comes my way or, um, you know, whatever it is, like when I have the opportunity to make that kind of decision, I try to think, um, about the why behind it, you know, mm-hmm. why is this something I want to do? Or, you know, if something comes my way, does this, does this fit the why yeah. <laughs> in my life right now? And, you know, we were talking about sort of me thinking about, um, you know, listening to other stories and stuff like that. And, um, doing work that's like in line with that so you know if something matches up with that um that reason then you know that's how I kind of measure if it's if it's the right thing to do does that make sense yeah definitely that's really good I think for me um I've I'm getting to a place where I'm more I guess honest with myself this was like my year of honesty and like really acknowledging what my weaknesses are Um, And so for me, with my anxiety, I kind of like, like I said, go into indecision and just kind of stop and ruminate. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to like take steps to just jump and do it, Um, which is I think like my I talked to my mom about it and I've talked to friends about it and they're always like, oh, man, well, it seems like you're like always doing things and stuff. Mm -hmm. But but like, you know, I've got a whole list of other things I'd like to do. Um, but the anxiety is like, what if it doesn't work out or blah, blah, blah. Um, and so that's really good that you just kind of do it and then readjust as you go. Um, yeah, no. And I think, I mean, whatever it's worth, I just, I feel like, I think a lot of what we're talking about is like kind of the appearance of things (laughs) versus like what they really can feel like. And, you know, I always think about just everything on social media and stuff and it's like you know for every beautiful picture of food like you're not seeing the you know pile of dirty dishes and Mm -hmm. I mean that kind of literally as someone who posts about food but also just like metaphorically like there's so much like you know for everything that works out there's a million things that haven't worked out and for everything that goes well there's also just all the things about it that you know like may have been really frustrating (laughs) like Mm -hmm. um so there's, yeah, I think that we, um, the way we share stuff these days is in such a positive kind of 
front-facing way, mm-hmm. which isn't bad, but um, it's, um, you know, I think there's a lot we don't see and don't talk about. And I think, not that we need to, but I think it's just good to acknowledge. Yeah. Well, I guess that goes back to it, the importance of community um, and being able to talk more about the realistic side yeah. of things. Yeah, and I think it's, yeah, it's so key because, and that can happen online, you know, that can happen in a comment on that mm-hmm. Instagram post, but that can also happen, you know, on a phone call with a friend, just like, hey, yeah, <laughs> uh, or a text or whatever, like, there's so many different ways for that to happen, but I think those conversations are really important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my next question was, um, you know, you do a lot with community and, um, food and people. Um, and so could you tell me about a time where you, um, were able to really witness the power of food to connect people and if in any way that experience shift your belief or view about people and community? Yeah. Wow. Um, totally like all the time, (laughs) like every day, (laughs) um, I, it's it's why I, I I love what I do so much. Um, you know, working on cookbooks and working just kind of, you know I guess like in food media because I feel like I see that happen constantly. Um, I think the power of um, you know a table with food on it to bring people together is is really like not to be underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I've seen. I'm just trying to think of, I feel like I have a million examples. I mean, I, I think of, uh, you know, I think of the first time uh, my wife met my parents and we had lunch at a restaurant, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and it was, you know, a totally positive uh, thing. Uh, you know, this isn't like a, you know, sad coming out story or something, yeah. but it was just like, <laughs> like, I remember just what it felt like to sit around that table and to be... Um, you know, so happy and so comfortable. I've sat at meals where we've had, um, you know, with colleagues and stuff like really tense conversations about things. But Mm. the fact that we were sitting around a table um, with food on it, you know, I think helped us create a, a, you know, a safe space to have a hard conversation. Um, I've done, you know, I do a lot of um, volunteer work through through cooking. Mm -hmm. And you know, the power of those meals to just, just literally, you know, provide a meal for someone who, who might not have access to it, but also the experience of cooking that meal with other volunteers and how that experience has brought us together. Um, and yeah, so I, I see it just personally in my own life all the time. Um, and then, you know, in, in, um, there's just so many incredible examples and in terms of, um, sort of politically bringing people together and, mm-hmm. um, and in movement building and stuff. I mean, there's just a enormous legacy, um, to food in, in, in movement building, because I think movements are about groups of people, <laughs> um, and people need to be fed and taken care of. And, um, you know, that, that work has, has been going on forever. And I think, um, you know, I think the best example, as um as Georgia Gilmore and the club from nowhere during during the Montgomery bus boycotts mm. you know, not very far from I'm sure where you're sitting right now yeah um and just um her organizing all of these women you know primarily black women to be you know cooking food and feeding people um and that is just as vital as you know 
anyone boycotting, um, you know, and it's all kind of an ecosystem and, and, and food is a big part of it. Well, the book you gave me, your book, Feed the Resistance, I, first of all, absolutely love it um, and the whole idea behind it. Um, and so, you know, for me, I took it as more of being a book, obviously about recipes and things like that, but also being about like educating people and encouraging people to vote and giving them like tangible ways to resist. But do you think that food could be a path for, you know, like the conversation I have with my friend having those kinds of conversations? Do you think yeah. the book could be used in that way too? Definitely. Um, definitely. I think, um, I mean, there's one example that I, I think about a lot. That's like a pretty sort of dramatic one, but, um, there's actually a, um, <clears throat> the daily, the New York times podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, they did a, um, a show about it and it's the story about Derek Black um who is this guy who was born in a um like just total white supremacist family like his his family started that like it's a really crazy like right-wing website called um Storm King and um like his I think um you know the his godfather was the head of the Ku Klux Klan like really crazy stuff um and he uh you know scary really just you know bad (laughs) and um he ended up he you know he grew up in this family that was his community and everything he knew um and as he got older he ended up kind of like renouncing his his views um and he did that like in an open letter to the Southern Poverty Law Center um and he has spoken very openly about that and um what struck me so much about his story was that he talked about that his views began to change when he was in college and he was invited um by a college classmate who was um who was a religious jew um that classmate invited him to a shabbat dinner um Mm. and you know i think sort of basically was like you know we have different uh, opinions. <laughs> um, but, you know, come to this meal and, you know, kind of get to know a community that, you know, you have, you know, you know, actively discriminated against and, um, you know, share this meal and let's talk about the stuff that's hard to talk about. And he, um, I, I've always been so struck by the fact that he, uh, you know, talks about the, the shifting of his own views, um, having started around that table. And to me, that's such a profound example of, you know, it wasn't the food on the table that changed his mind, but it was, I think that invitation, um, and the, you know, introduction to a a different community and a conversation. Um, and I think that, you know, the person who did the inviting, you know, to open your door to someone who, um, you know, hasn't necessarily like supported you is, is, is a scary thing to do. Um, but I think the potential for, um, for dialogue is just so huge and, um, Mm -hmm. can have like major impact. And I find that really, um, I don't know if inspiring is the right word, but I just, you know, I just try to keep that in mind. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's easier to talk to people you agree with. Yeah. That's, that's easy. Yeah. Hmm. Um, my next to the last question, the very, very last question is a question from my husband. 
because he was really disappointed that he had to go to work because he wanted to sit on on this. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, but so my next question is, I wanted to talk to you about your latest project. I know you're mm. coming out with a book. Mm-hmm. And so I was, like I said, really excited about Feed the Resistance. So I wanted to know what this one is about. Yeah, for sure. So um, I'll give you a little background um, because I was actually working on this book before I did Feed the Resistance. And essentially um, about two years, almost two years ago, I came out with um, my first cookbook that was just my own because I had worked on lots of other people's books. But mm-hmm. I had done a book called Small Victories. Um, and that came out and, um, it came out in September of 2016, um, which isn't that long ago, but every, the world felt a little different, I think. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, um, you know, so I, and that was like a really positive experience putting that book out. And so then I immediately pitched, um, the book that I'm about to come out with to my publisher, um, which is called now and again. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's a really fun cookbook. I'm really excited about it. It's all, um, it's, it's menus, um, and then recipes so you can make, you know, the whole meal and then Mm -hmm. ways to reinvent all the leftovers from that meal. Um, so that's that's kind of, yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So that's the concept and it's really, um, like totally how I cook and how we eat in my house. Like I'm always making tons of food and I'm always turning the leftovers into something else. We eat like all of our meals at home. Um, so there's just always something in the fridge and, um, yeah, that's kind of the story behind that book. And, um, yeah, like just all my favorite menus and kind of stories behind them and stuff. So it's, you know, it's a personal book. It's, it's full of just like, really fun, you know, kind of creative ideas. And, um, it's, um, yeah, it's a cookbook I'm, I'm just proud about, proud of and excited about. So I had started working on it and then, um, you know, the election happened and, um, I felt very, uh, you know, felt a lot of things. (laughs) A lot of people (laughs) did, you know, fear and anger and all those kinds of things. And I just felt like, you know, what, is there something I can, um, do? Is there something I can contribute that's, you know, positive and productive and what do I know how to do? And can that be used in some, um, some way that might be useful? Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I, one really random thing in this world that I know how to do is to put together a cookbook. Um, and so I pitched Feed the Resistance, um, to my editor who I was already working on this next book with. Um, and I was like, I have this idea. I think we should do it. I think we should do it right now. Um, and I think that it should be from, you know, a big community and, you know, we have over 20 contributors. Um, most of them, I don't think any of them had worked with, with Chronicle, my publisher before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I'm asking my publisher to not just say yes to me, but to, uh, you know, a community that brought so many different perspectives and experiences and, and just ideas and voices, um, you know, so to also say yes to this community that they hadn't worked with. <laughs> um, and I also said that, you know, I wanted us to give, well, we paid all the contributors, but then after that, you know, I wanted us to give all of the money to the ACLU, um, and to use the book as a way to, um, you know, itself be a tool to kind of, you know, support the protection of civil liberties. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm asking a publisher to do a book immediately that they weren't planning on, um, to do it with all these people they hadn't worked with and then also not to make any money off of it. Um, 
And yeah, to their credit, they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it right now. And so it was a pretty extraordinary experience. I'm I'm, uh, so happy that we were able to do it. It, um, I mean, it really changed my life. It it brought me closer to um, every single person who's, uh, you know, in the book, you know, let me get to know them better. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, um, yeah. I'm, I'm very kind of, um, changed by that experience and, um, I'm grateful for it. And, you know, we're able to raise some good money. Um, we're able to tell good stories and everything. So yeah. So Feed the Resistance happened really quickly and happened while I was on deadline for this other book, which is now (laughs) coming out. So that's kind of a longer answer, but, um, that was, that was how that all went down. That's that's amazing. I'm really excited for it to come out. When does it come out? It comes out September 4th. Okay, cool. And you said you said around early December you think you'd be in Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. So I'm figuring out my book tour and everything now, and I think Atlanta's. I'm, I'm doing, like, a few trips that are kind of spread out, and mm-hmm. I think Atlanta's going to be at the end, so I think early December. Cool. Well, I'm excited. I'll, since I'll be there, I'll... I'll be there <laughs> awesome yeah I'll definitely once I know exactly where and when um I'll, I'll keep you posted and I'll definitely be you know like posting about it and everything so yeah it would be so fun to see you I think yeah I'm gonna try and get a good good group together yeah definitely um so my last question my husband's question yeah <laughs> Go for it. he's so jealous so um he so we funny. we were talking to a friend of a friend who's a nutritionist and we were talking about trendy diets and so, mm-hmm. you know, he has been vegan since March. I tried it out for a month, but, you know, I really love burgers and steaks, <laughs> so I didn't last that long. But he's been talk he was talking to her about how trendy diets have been impacting people's relationship to food, mm-hmm. which is something I never I've never thought about that we all have a certain relationship to food. And most of us I feel, well, maybe in like American culture, don't really think about that relationship which is why we overeat and eat emotionally and don't really get to the bottom of why we overeat and all these other things so he wanted to ask um what is your take quote what is your take on new trendy diets and how it impacts people's relationship with food that's a good question i think (laughs) um i mean i yeah what to say i think I don't know. I feel like we're all just, I, this is kind of like what we were talking about with like the freelance kind of stuff and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that, yeah, all of us, myself included, I think are just kind of desperate for some control yeah. in a world that doesn't have, doesn't offer that to us. Um, you know, and what we eat is something that where we're able to, you know, exert some sense of control um and you know some of us more than others and i you know in terms of what we have access to or you know when we eat or how often or whatever mm-hmm. so i think i don't know trendy diet i mean there's always been trendy diets i think i mean that touches on so many things like i think um you know i think for women in our relationships with our body it's it's a whole other thing mm-hmm. um you know yeah. i think it, it touches on so much but i think in general it's like I think it's about control. I think it's just about, um, you know, wanting some control. And, uh, you know, I think 
being very um, specific and having certain guidelines about what you eat is, is a way to, you know, make you make you feel in control. So, but, you know, it is, for some people it's religious or, you know, all sorts of things. So, yeah it's, yeah, it's a big, big question. But, I mean, I guess the first thing I think of is I just I think it's I think it's an attempt to have some control. Mm. Yeah, I would agree. I didn't even think about it from that standpoint either. Well, I'll be sure to let them know what you think. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, thank you. And good luck with your move, if I don't speak to you before. Yeah, thanks so much. We're, I haven't started packing yet, but we don't really have... We try to keep things minimal, you know? Yeah. So we should be you. able to fit everything in one truck. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> like a U-Haul. Awesome. Um, okay, this is the last, last thing before we get off the phone. But before I knew who you were, all <laughs> I knew was there's this book called in the company of women uh-huh. and I sat down and read the thing basically in one sitting at a friend's <laughs> house but I had no idea you were married to her uh-huh. um so could you tell her that she has a real fan in Alabama oh, who so like sweet. loves the book and it like the things I read in there kind of changed my outlook and it was so encouraging because in, here in Alabama like there aren't a lot you know like feminism like that's still like a bad word to hear in a lot of places and so like that book was so like affirming and life giving and just tell her I said that. <laughs> I will I'm gonna tell her right after we get off the phone. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I was yeah, like, I hope she didn't think it's weird, but I'm just like just let your wife know that I really love that book. <laughs> I will absolutely tell her. That's so sweet. <laughs> You've been listening to Undiscovered Worth, the podcast. If you enjoyed, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share with others. Also, be sure to follow Undiscovered Worth on Instagram and Facebook.